Oh. There we go. Cool. I can't play it. Oh, man. Y'all, I had heart. He's dressed for the part, right? That's so funny. So I was having heart palpitations looking for my Bible. And uh, when we were doing the handshake time, I was like, oh, yes, yes, good to see you. And I'm like checking every pew looking for my Bible. And then I saw it sitting next to Cole. And I grabbed it. And Brittany said, no, he wanted to read your Bible while you preached. Isn't that really sweet? And so they, they put this whole ploy together. And then here, here he comes. And he's preaching today. Well, Cole, here you go. Come on, buddy. Come on, man. No, that's so awesome. Um, oh, man, I like that we can have good, hearty fellowship in our church. At, uh, we can see Bruce, get down! And Connie's heart explode. <laughs> um, but you know what? I was thinking about this. Uh, part of this is part of like us coming in with like such, such vigor would be that we, we didn't come in cold. Right, we we had we had time in the back in our weekly connect for people to see one another and to commune with one another and to connect with one another, and so um, so I, I'm I'm just I, I'm excited about this initiative. If you haven't been with us for our weekly connect, um, come next Sunday. Be there, be here at nine thirty or or earlier, and uh, and, uh, and and meet us in the back, and uh, we'll have a good time of fellowship then. And then that kind of just that flows into our worship. That flows into uh, all that together, um, and so, um, I love you, buddy. <laughs> um, then something else that I was thinking of when we were singing that song is, we have this, we say these things like, you know, there's nothing we could do that is of worth and value that can bring before God, and that's the other side of this, we also have to understand this, like, God doesn't demand that out of us. God, God wants us, he, he doesn't say, hey, come before me, you better do something. He says, come and just rest in me, delight in my love, my provision, my, my, my care for you. Uh, when you're going through a hard time, you can come to me and you can know, you can, you, you can, you can rest just knowing that I'm present with you in this. Right? I, I, I'm with you. And so, like, as we think about it today, like, you know, when we talk about some of our language that we use here, we got to remember it's our language thinking, man, I can't bring you anything. But God's answer, definitive answer to us always is I've required nothing of you. I've required nothing at your hand. He's taken the initiative. And, and, and we see this in Jesus. This is the, the definitive revelation of God to humankind. At this point, and to all creation at this point, the definitive rev revelation is in the man Christ Jesus. Who comes and he bears it. And it's God saying, I don't require anything of you except for that you, you trust in my love, in my mercy, that I am good. And so this morning, I, I just want us to kind of bow and maybe just find yourself, have you been just resting in your trust, or have you been working? Have you been busy condemning yourself this week because you didn't do enough? 
Did you rest in his forgiveness this week whenever you fell short? Did you trust in his forgiveness this week? His mercy. Did you find him present when you were struggling this week? So just going to ask you to bow for a moment. Be quiet with the Lord for a second. And if you haven't done it, maybe just right now you can say, God, thank you. I love you. I'm going to say a phrase. I'm going to ask you all to repeat it after me. Be still and know that I am God. Will you repeat? Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. God, you've given us breath and life. We have this present moment to be and to be with you and to be with one another. Lord, help us to be present in this moment with you. Uh, you... You've required nothing at our hand. You've taken the initiative. You've done the work to let us know that there's forgiveness and there's mercy. And that there's a right path. And what that right path is, what it looks like. We don't have to strive and labor extensively. Even to understand the right path, we just have to look at your son, Jesus, and follow his footsteps, Lord. I pray that you would be with us today. <clears throat> be present with us as we long to be present with you. Uh, be with uh, me as I proclaim your word. May your spirit be the one that uh, breathes out the truth. May it be your spirit's words, your spirit's truth that uh, we receive today. Lord, I pray that we would all receive what you have for us today. Lord, where we need correction and straightening up, uh, may we receive it. Where we need encouragement and strengthening up, may we receive it. Where we need comfort and consolation, Let us receive it, Lord, I pray. And as we receive what you have for us today, I pray that we would uh, eagerly apply it to our lives as we go live the moments that are to come. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <sighs>
So I said in our uh, Friday email, we are going through First Peter as chosen exiles. We are marching through this book. And, 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 and last week we came upon a, a passage of scripture that we had to kind of say, hey, look, this has been used. People have drawn some wrong conclusions and, 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 and we've seen some unnecessary uh, people uh, endure unnecessary suffering at times. And, and, and so that was a passage that, that uh, is not always uh, handled correctly and received correctly or or applied correctly. And we come to another passage in First Peter chapter number three, verses one through seven, where, um, where really the truth and the beauty of the passage gets lost. Um, and, and the reason why that happens is because people have taken this, on one hand, people have taken it and they have uh, used it to uphold um, authority and abuse and abuse of authority um, that Peter never intended to commend in this passage. And then on the other hand, uh, people look at it and they go, well, that's just antiquated and they deem it unuseful for modern day application. Um, and, um, and really the fact of the matter is, is it's a really beautiful teaching and it's so in line with the gospel. And, um, and, and what we want to do today is be able to recover the truth, the beauty, the force, of this, of this passage and so that we can apply it to our lives. And, and, and really, because we are living witnesses, you know, so that we can, we, we, we can recognize whenever it's being wrongly handled, right? And, and wrongly applied and maybe even just to speak an encouraging word to somebody or, 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 or it can be part of our witness. But, but, but I want us to hold on to it because it is, uh, I, I value scripture, obviously, we value this text, and, and we don't get to say, pick and choose, and say, well, that, that's good stuff, and I'm going to use that and apply it to my life, and that's, no, that, that, that's not good stuff. Um, but I will say this, uh, when, if we are going to recover the truth and the beauty, we have to understand some of the context surrounding it and, and understand that it's written into a certain context, and so then that we can understand how it was written and, and, and understood and applied in their day so then that we can wisely apply it in our context today. And so th that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 7. And, um, and if we don't get all the way through it today, we'll just pick up with it next week. Um, uh, but uh, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the passage. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you, as we read this passage, there's probably going to be some... Um, some terms or some phrases uh, that, 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 that they, might, they might rub you the wrong way. Just take note of that. Like, just, just know if that happens in your spirit, just take note of it. Just go, okay, and, and, and don't ignore it, and, 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 and don't turn away from the text because of it, but, uh, but just know, and, and so that maybe you can say, okay, God, like, maybe that's something that the Lord wants to, wants to kind of uh, work on today and, and speak to you about today. So, with that, let me read the passage here, and we have it up on the screen, um, and uh, it begins with this term, likewise, likewise, and so I say likewise a lot. I, don't, I know it's not like a, like a real common modern term, but uh, people will say, have a good day, and I'll say likewise, and that's because I'm a reader of the King James Bible a lot of times, and so that happens, but I want us to understand this. He's saying, just as I've already said... Just as I said, starting back in chapter 2, verse number 11, just as I said to live an honorable lifestyle so that you can, you, you can quell people's suspicions, right? Just as I said to all the chosen exiles, all the disciples of Jesus to uh, live in submission to the governing authorities, 
and to honor the governing authorities, not just the good governing authorities, not just the ones who you agree with, but all of them. And just like I said to the slaves to, to, um, to, to live in submission to their masters, and, and as I said, if you do get in trouble, make sure you're not getting in trouble because you're of bad behavior. Just as I said, all of this in all these contexts, now I'm going to apply it to a, another context, a specific context. Likewise, wives. Wives. This is a new context that we're applying the same principle. We applied it as citizens and uh, broadly. We applied it more specifically to, to, to slaves and masters. And now we're applying it to husbands and wives. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they, may al they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or by the conduct or by the comportment or by the character of the wives. How would they do this? They would behold your chaste conversation, your lifestyle, your living, your attitude, your behavior. Cup um, they would behold, they would take note of your chaste conversation coupled with fear. He says, women, uh, your adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Right? Don't worry so much about what you look like on the outside. No. He says, let's do this. He says, uh, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price. So he says, don't worry so much about what you look like on the outside. Let's, let's pay attention to what our hearts look like, what our character is like, what our attitude is like. And he says, and, and if you want to see what attitude and character God likes, he, he likes a meek, quiet spirit. Does he like that just of women? Let's ask that question right now. Does he like that just of women? No. This is the attitude. God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Jesus came meek and lowly riding on a donkey. Men, this is not just to those ladies to be meek and quiet. In fact, I think the greater challenge is for us to, to hear this word and to go, that's the heart that God likes, period. Full stop. In the sight of God, it's a great value, great price. He says, after this manner, in the old time, holy women also who, tr who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. He uses Sarah as an example. He says, Sarah even obeyed Abraham, and she called him Lord. You can only find in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 18, where Sarah referred to uh, Abraham as Lord. That's the only place in the Bible. But we do have two stories where Sarah obeyed Abraham. Do y'all know what those two stories are? It's when Abram went into foreign countries and he told his wife to lie about being his husband, or about, he told his wife to lie about being his wife to save his own neck. So the example of Sarah used here is she, she was submissive to this lie
that could have brought her great harm or great trauma to save her husband. This is not saying, uh, this is, again, I, I would say this is trying to put it in light of this is what Christ has done for us. He's risked himself for our sakes. It's not, I don't want you to have any friends except for me. It's not, I said, get in there and do the dishes. And he says, uh, you are her daughters, so long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. You're her daughters who have this great courage. Be of good courage, wives. Be of good courage. Be of strong, mighty character and courage. And then he uses this term likewise again. So likewise, husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers are not hindered. Uh, ladies, y'all like that term, weaker vessel? Right? Y'all are like, that's me. <laughs> I'm the dance. Oh, so, yeah, I love that. Right? Uh, let's just, let's clear the air here about weaker vessel. Okay? A, this is, this is in Greco-Roman thought. He's keeping in, in, in line with Greco-Roman thought. And in Greco-Roman philosophy, they would say that the woman is the weaker vessel, not because the woman is, a, she, she, her brain don't work good and she can't learn things, not because of those things and not because she's, she, can't, she can't do a good labor and not because she's, she's a dullard in business and she's just going to get you know, fleeced by every, every swindler and con man that comes around. No, no, no. They're actually just talking about physical characteristics. And, 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 and biology naturally reveals that, by and large, men are, are built with a more sturdy body. And, in, and, and they usually are bigger. That's, they're talking about physiologically. And why are you laughing at me right now? Sturdy? Okay. Is she what? Well, yeah. Well, some ladies have some sturdy bodies too. So, uh, right. They would say that, and then they would also say. They would also say, that like. Typically, and we know this to be true, and as a general rule, and and, and if you go like, I know a strong woman who who could bench press. You know, nobody's. It's a general rule, right? Same thing is. They would say women are more prone to fears. And that doesn't mean they just cower in the corner. They would actually see this as a strength for women. And, and, and I'll illustrate it this way. My wife has trauma from childhood about finances. And so I've never once had to worry in my house whether or not our budget was going to be taken care of because she worries about that. And because she's so worried about it and she's on top of everything, she orders our finances well. 
And she lives with that fear, that anxiety, that worry. And that frees me of any fear, anxiety, or worry. And she gets frustrated with me. You need to worry about this. They would say the same thing in Greco-Roman thought and philosophy. And in, in, their, in their world, they would, say, they would say, the woman who is more concerned with the provisions of the home is actually going to be more proactive in storing up those provisions. And so whenever they say weaker vessel, it is not this, it, it's not to be demeaning. It's in line with a thought and it has to do with biology and sometimes it has to do with uh, some, some, some characteristics. It's a very general term, but the point and the emphasis of Peter is not, you got to take care of those weak little ladies. He is saying, if you consider yourself strong, the mayor, then you better, you better not use your strength to come down on somebody. You better use your strength to protect, to build up, to honor. To care for, to nurture, to nourish. So I wanted us to understand that. Now, here's where I want to take a step back and I want us to think about this. A lot of times this passage has been used to put people in their place. That's what Peter's doing here. Just putting those ladies in their place. So I want to say today, that's not what Peter's doing here. In fact, in fact, I think if we can go back and we can remember what happened, how he started out this letter, we can see that Peter is actually trying to say he's already put Christians, disciples, men, women, a boy, girl, male, female, old, young. He's put all disciples in their place, and their place is of great authority, great value, great worth. Your identity is much more than what the Roman Empire can give you, much more than what being an American citizen can give you, or a Texan can give you, or what your bank account says about you, or what your career says about you, or how good your kids are, and what that reflects on you. Your status, your worth, your value is greater than anything this world could offer you that's how he started out the letter he's saying you have this position you, you, you're walking around in this in this in this culture in this society that wants to treat you like second-class citizens because you you don't follow their same uh, ideology idolatry uh, you, you don't participate in in, in in the lascivious behavior that they participate in and and they want to say you're second-class citizen but I'm telling you you are of great authority and then beginning in chapter 2, verse number 11, what Peter does is he says, okay, you have this authority. How are you going to wield your authority? Are you going to walk around with your head up, your nose up, and you're going to be looking down on everybody in your society? You better not because that doesn't look like Jesus. Well, let me illustrate it this way. I was a big fan of the movie Cool Runnings. In the 90s. Is anybody familiar with the movie Cool Runnings? Let me see your hand. All right. I was going to play the clip, but, you know, I, I already got chastised last week for, for using bad language um, by my mom. And so, um, so, uh, so I couldn't play the clip, but there is this great scene 
with Junior. Y'all remember Junior, right? Junior was this kid who came from a wealthy home, but his dad uh, like, was just kind of a bully parent and, and, and held him to some standards, but it was also he always was looking down on every decision that Junior made. And Junior had, had built this, this identity and this, 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 this value of himself that was not very big at all. It was nothing. Even though he was a world-class athlete, and even though he was a bright individual, he, he just he didn't see himself as anything. So not only did that open him up to bully treatment by his father, but it also opened him up to bully treatment by other people. And there's this moment in the movie where they, he's being bullied by uh, some members of another blood team, and his friend takes him into the bathroom, and he says, look in the mirror. He says, who do you see in the mirror? And he says, I see Junior. And he says, Junior, that's what you see. He says, you know what I see? He says, what do you see? He says, I see pride. I see power. I see a bad man who won't take anything from anybody. And Junior's like, he doesn't see it. And he says, look in the mirror. He says, repeat after me. He says, I see pride. I see pride. I see power. I see power. I see a bad man who won't take anything off of anybody. I see a bad man who won't take it. Once again, I see pride. I see pride. I see power, I see power. I see a bad man who won't take anything off of anybody. Let me hear it again. I see pride, I see pride, I see power. I see a bad man who won't take anything off of anybody. He is building him up. He is like, he is doing like what Newt Rockney did. We're going to get him on the road, boys. We're going to keep him on the road. We're not going to stop till we reach that goal line. Right? He's having a, a, a locker room speech with him. I love that my wife laughs at me. Not with me, at me. And here's what happens. Junior gets all wrapped up and revved up, and he's filled. Like he's, he, he, he's felt alive like he's never felt alive before. And Junior, who's probably like 5'7", walks out of that uh, bathroom and goes up to a guy who's like 6'5", and starts putting his finger in his chest. Like, I'm not going to take anything. Uh, you know, I'm Junior. I'm not going to take anything. Um, so... I want us to hold on to this image because that's what Peter has effectively done in 1 Peter beginning with, from his introduction until he got to verse, chapter 2, verse number 10. That whole long introduction was, I see pride, I see pride, I see power, I see power, I see a bad person who won't take anything from anybody. He says, you know who you are, chosen exiles? You are chosen of God. You're not chosen instead of people. You are chosen for the sake of this world. You are what this world needs. Oh my goodness, they start getting, they start getting energized. And you know what you have? You have an inheritance that's reserved for you in heaven. It's kept by the power of God. And you are kept by the power of God. Oh my goodness, my inheritance is not here on earth. It's in heaven. And I'm kept by the power of God. He says, he gets all the way down to it, and he says, you are the people of God. And everybody should be at this point. We're going to go out there, and we're going to get them on the run, we're going to keep them on the run. But remember, we said this all the way back at the very beginning. All the way back at the very beginning. Chosen not instead of others. Chosen for the sake of everyone. You have greater value greater worth than what being a wife can afford you. How are you going to wield that authority? Peter says, hey, wives, here's what I would encourage you to do. Let's stick with the strategy that we've been telling everybody. 
let's stick with this strategy, that through submission to your own husband and not, not dressing yourself up on the outside, but by building your good character, your husband who might not trust Jesus will learn about the character of Jesus through you. And he will be won over by your, your honorable lifestyle, your exemplary living. That's the strategy here. He's not putting anybody in their place. He's put them in their place and their places. You're better, more worthy, more valuable than to be mistreated and abused. To be subject to somebody else's demands. But let's remember what Jesus did because Jesus was more valuable than that too. Here's what I think we should take a lesson from cult study. Our friend Allison, she studies cults and she's written about cults and she's a brilliant writer. And, um, and, um, and, and, and I, I don't even know why I mentioned her except for I just love her and I was thinking about her today because that's Diana's daughter and I know that they're still grieving their mom, but, um, but I, I think she w might just appreciate this, this moment in the sermon. But um, what we know from cults is, what do cult leaders do? If you've ever watched a, a, a movie, like a documentary or even a fictionalized dramatization, cult leaders usually say, hey, I'm the supreme authority even over your marriage. Peter's being very, very circumspect here because he's talking to women who, have, who are married and their spouse is not part of the church. They're not disciples of Jesus. And Peter says, don't be in subjection to me, Pastor Peter. Don't be in subjection to the church. Your first submission is not to the cult. Your first submission is to your own husband. Now, if I'm an unbelieving husband... And my wife comes home and she says, well, listen, I just got to tell you, my pastor said that I have to do this, so I have to do this. I'm going to go, who's your pastor? And why does he have any say in what we do? But if I'm an unbelieving husband and my wife comes home and says, I met this, I found out about this liberating way of life, trusting Jesus. And you know why it's liberating? Because it grants me freedom. I'm not beholden to all my guilt, shame, my condemnation anymore. And guess what? I'm really good at guilting myself and shaming myself and living in condemnation. And what, what I found is I found that, that God loves me as I am. And he proved that. He revealed that on the cross. He, he sent Jesus and Jesus died. And Jesus didn't say, I need something. Y'all need to pay me something so I can go to the cross and die for you. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And I'm going to reveal to you that in God there is forgiveness. And there is grace and there is mercy. And he, and he does this because he loves you. Because he loves you. And she says, I've been liberated. I don't need to go down to the pagan festivals anymore. And he says, but guess what? If you don't go down to the pagan festival with me anymore, then people are going to say that I'm not, I'm not, I don't have good rule over my household. And that's going to mess up my business dealings. 
So I need you to go to the pagan festival with me. And you know what she would say if she was following Peter's advice? She would say, I'll go to the pagan festival with you, honey. I'll stand by your side. Because I don't want you to lose honor in our society. I don't want you to lose dignity here. You know, my pastor says that I should honor you. Can I just pause here? Does this put things in a different context for us? Can, can we stop here and say this? Has this verse been used in that context most often? Or has it been used in the context of putting people in their place most often? Has it been used to harm women? Did Peter ever intend that? Oh my goodness. Did our Heavenly Father, whenever, he, the, 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 did the Spirit of God breathe that out? Oh, heavens no. Maybe it was used to harm you, to put you in your place. I'm sorry. Man, I'm sorry. The principle for wives is the same principle for every disciple. It's not unique. Likewise. 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 It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter number two. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus had ultimate authority. He could walk around and he could wield that authority in really, really dangerous, destructive ways. But what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. He became a human being, flesh and blood. And he didn't come in as a king. He came in as a, ser as a servant. He didn't come in with power and authority and, 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 and status and privilege and wealth. And No, he came in in poverty. He came in as a refugee. I came in like a refugee. Yeah. yeah. And he humbled himself. He was obedient. He was obedient even unto death. And what I would like to say about this is he was obedient to the way that he was supposed to live. And the way that he was supposed to live was a way that said, I'm going to honor others more than I honor myself. Now, I do want to say something else. Oh, let, 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 me, let me make this point too. If you've been told that you have more authority, more value, more worth, and then you're living at home and you're being mistreated and you're not being made of value and not made of worth, then what that could create in you is a, 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 an arrogance and or just a bad attitude and bad behavior of a grudging attitude. And I think Peter wants to stop that too. He wants to say, hey, listen, if you're able to do this, and find in the spirit strength and courage and dignity where you're not getting strength and courage and dignity from your spouse or from your community or from your society, if you can find that from a gift of the spirit that he's given you, 
and you can endure it, then you can be the witness. Not a bold, vocal, I'm going to argue with you every day and we're going to have deep theological disagreements. No, but just by your character. Like I said last week, though, because this isn't putting women in their place and because we understand that there is greater freedom that women have in our culture, in our society, than women did then. They have greater opportunity that if they, that, that if they have to get out of a marriage, they have the opportunity to work. And they have resources available to help them get on their feet. And they have actually people in the community would, are, are, are more understanding of these things today. Because our, our context is different, we also have to understand this. God does not want you to subject yourself to abuse of any sort because that's what you are called to do. We are, uh, you have to make a decision led by the Holy Spirit of God. And you can do this in community with other people, but you have to make a decision based on those, on those moments. And the Spirit might tell you, I free you and I release you to go. Because I don't want you to endure this and I don't want your children to endure this. Or the spirit might say, I am going to give you everything that you need to endure this and to endure it well. I don't speak for the spirit. I let the spirit speak. But I do want to say, like I said last week, there is freedom. There is freedom. And that freedom is listening to the spirit and letting the spirit guide us and not being held captive by a law. I'm going to stop with that today. And we're going to address husbands next week. The beauty of this passage is that he's not saying anything to wives that he hasn't said to every disciple. Or maybe that's the truth of this passage. The beauty of this passage is this, is what he's calling us to do as all disciples of Christ is to look like Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus. He's just applying it in specific contexts. And what I would say that we have to walk away from today is saying, hey, that truth and that beauty, it doesn't just get applied on Sunday morning. It doesn't just get applied whenever I'm at my job. 
It doesn't just get applied whenever I'm, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm in this context and it, and it doesn't apply to this context. It applies to every context. And if Peter had the, the resources to write down and to imaginatively uh, talk into and speak into every specific context, I promise you Peter would have done it. But he didn't have the resources. He didn't have the parchment. He had limited uh, resources. And, 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 and he said, okay, I just want to set an example here. We're going to apply it here. We're going to apply it here. We're going to apply, we're going to apply the same principle to live an exemplary life, an honorable life, good character, good behavior, good attitude, holy, loving are the terms that you usually hear in the church, right? And we're going to start applying it. And I can only tell you a few examples and they're prime examples, but they're not the only examples. These, this has to be applied Everywhere you need to apply it. It applies whenever you are in the voting booth. It applies whenever you are, you are on your couch. It applies whenever you're in, in your office all by yourself. It applies, it applies, it applies, it applies, it applies. It applies whenever you're a student. It applies whenever you're a child. It applies when you're a parent. It applies. So, that's, the, that's what I want us to take away from, is that we find that this principle of living an exemplary life, a holy, loving life, we apply it in every facet of our lives, in every day that we have. And with that, I'll say, amen. Will y'all bow with me? Lord, I love you. I thank you.